This is Adia. And Aisha. Join us on this podcast journey where we have an existential crisis one episode at a time so you don't have to. But why do that on a podcast, you ask? Because it's better than journaling. Okay. So get comfy and fill your teacup with whatever it is you drink because it's time for an episode of Better Than Journaling. Hi, Miss Aisha. Good afternoon, Miss Adia. How are you doing? You know, uh, it's a good day. I'm doing well. Uh, it's a Sunday. It's pretty nice outside. I feel like I've had a good start to my day. I have a new routine going, and I've got a one, two, three, four, six day weekend <laughs> uh, upcoming. Upcoming. I'm sorry. I said, how'd you accomplish that? But then you said upcoming. What do you do? Are oh, you like uh, elongating that three-day weekend, Memorial Day next week? I am. And I generally, up, up, you know, elongate if I taking the Friday off. But this time I was like, screw it. I'm taking the Thursday, the Friday, and the Tuesday off because why wouldn't I? Um, I so I'm it. pretty excited about that. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, so I'm all smiles from here on out. How about you? How are you? I'm heading to Virginia on Wednesday. Um, I haven't been on an airplane in a lot of years. By a lot of years, I mean since 1996. Oh, that's a lot of years. I'm not joking. It's been a lot of years. So I'm going to be on an airplane in a couple of days, um, which I haven't done since 1996. So, you know, that's a whole thing. That is a whole thing. I know that that is not the subject matter of our uh, episode today, um, but I would like to know how you're feeling about it. Does this like all of a sudden tense body not tell you how I'm feeling about it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you're doing uh, it. It's, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, you are. You're going to do the, the you're going to do you are not only going to do it, you're going to do the fuck out of it, okay? I'm going to do the fuck out of it. I'm going to be there you the go. best passenger that ever passenged. In one way or another, is what I would say. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I will look forward to uh, supporting you in any way that I can and hearing about your experiences on this adventure, uh, kind of really cool adventure me, that you're taking on. If by supporting you, me, you mean like tying me with alcohol from the moment I step onto the plane until the moment I step off, then I mean I'll buy you a few drinks for sure. Time. Yeah, I would totally buy you a few drinks. I decided for my first flight after not yeah. flying that I was gonna be bougie AF and be first class. Nobody has to buy me drinks. Apparently they come free there. Oh but I am well, flying then, in the morning, so I will supply you with like tech. And I'm assuming you're going to have access to Wi-Fi. So your iMessages will still come through the entire flight. So I will small talk you and send you memes and all of those wonderly on the ground in the air things that are uh, afforded. That's exactly what I need. That's exactly what I need. Thank you. I appreciate you. Coming through. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. And I'm excited for me with my time off. It's good. Um, What are you doing? Are you just... You know, people always ask that when I take um, what probably sounds like to them unreasonable amounts of time off during the week. I don't have any plans. My plan is to chill. Um, I realized several years ago that there's a really positive impact that I experienced from regularly scheduling three and four day weekends throughout the year outside of an actual like vacation where I've taken like 10 plus days off. Um, and so I don't have to have anything planned. The, the goal is to have nothing planned and to just do what the fuck I don't want to do, you know? And I just chill. I'm at my home. I love my space. It's, I, maybe I clean one day. Maybe I do like DIY projects, you know, another two days. Maybe I repot plants. Maybe I lay around. Maybe I take a road trip. Maybe I don't do shit you know maybe I hang out with friends or go visit my mom or maybe I don't do shit you hearing a theme here like I really just like to be unscheduled and 
have complete autonomy over my time to do a lot or do nothing whatsoever. But I just like to reclaim my time every so often. And it makes me feel like I've had some real time off versus like having to go, go, go most of the time. So yeah, I don't have any plans, which is great. Sure, reclaiming her time. I was re-listening to uh, a few episodes that we did. And so I was re-listening to the New Year's episode where we talked about the difference that we have, which is that you, when you decide to do something, you just start it right at that moment. And me, I'm like, oh, I'll wait for my birthday or I'll wait for January 1st or whatever. And I have been not doing that lately. I've been, because my birthday is soon. My birthday's in less than a month. So, uh, but normally this is the time where I'd be gearing up for some stuff. But I decided that in my next year of life, I'm going to be saying yes to more things, uh, right. having more fun, all these things, right? Um, and I just, and so, but I didn't wait until my birthday in June to do it. I was just like, I'm starting now, forget it, I'm starting now. And I think I decided in like oh, April. Yeah. Um, so you just made me decide that I'm going to do three-day weekends. Uh, I'm going to say once a month. I'm going to do a three-day weekend once a month. That, that starts now. That starts right now. It is now. a round of rousing applause. Yeah. It is going to change your life. I yeah, am very excited now. for you. Good for you. You deserve. You deserve. I am raising a can of ginger peach sparkling water to you, my friend. <laughs> to my, oh, oh my goodness. You're raising a can of ginger peach sparkling water. This is going to sound like it's not a crisis, only for me it is a crisis because I am a bit habit driven. Driven. Uh, I went to the office this morning to like drop some stuff off and pick some stuff up because I was going to be out of the office for a while. And I left my water bottle there. And I feel like that's a crisis because I always have my water bottle with me. Yeah. In my face like screams crisis. Yeah. And my <laughs> face also is screaming crisis. So yes, I am with you. I do feel like that's a crisis also I feel like I I'm not I feel like I, I know I lost a water bottle my I have some varying sizes of water bottles who doesn't and I lost and but it's a camelback and so people know like those Me? are double wall and uh, yeah insulated super expensive and I lost my like super narrow travel one so like it's the one that's I don't know whatever it's small it's only like 20 ounces and I just lost it somewhere. I have no, obviously when you say lost it, you have no idea where it is. I have no idea where it is. I, I just can't even imagine yeah, it's gone. It's gone. It's really sad. So will you be, is the office on the way to the airport, perhaps? It's not, but I do have to go to main campus tomorrow. And so I might stop by there and pick it up. But okay. it's the one I started using this when I was doing the, the yeah. mental toughness challenge. And I had to drink 128 ounces of water a day. And this one, if I fill it three times, that's my 128 ounces. So it's been, yeah. what, seven months or so? Mm -hmm. I'm a creature of habit. It's at the office. And you have if, a long-term relationship. Past, we have a long-term relationship. If I hadn't driven past the gas station at the office that said gas was 634 a gallon, um, I might go back for it. How oh, much? Oh, Mesa, 634. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just went to Costco and paid 559 and I was like, 560 a gallon. And so now when you say that, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, I'm like, I'm leaving town midweek. I'm not trying to fill the tank before I go. So. Not at all. No. Not at all. Wow. Wow. <sighs> you know, I think about like all the things that money and expenses bring up for us and most people. And it makes me think about like <sighs> something else that's kind of been on my mind, Miss Aisha. What that is. <sighs> Difficult conversations. <laughs> Difficult conversations. Um, Those are difficult, yeah. aren't they? You know, sometimes it feels unnecessarily so uh, that the difficult conversations really are more about the relationship itself than than the conversation that the reason why the yeah the reason why the conversation is difficult is because of the dynamics of the relationship and, and that's probably i mean yeah i think that that's hmm, well 
I don't know. That's why I've been thinking about it and it's been rolling around in my brain. So I, I also recognize that some, some of it has to do with like your own like values and uh, the way that you see things in the world. Um, and that might make the conversation difficult because you didn't talk about those kinds of things or you don't you know, necessarily have the skills to talk about those kinds of things. So it's not necessarily the relationship itself, but uh, the individual people in them. So yeah, made me think about some of the difficult conversations I've had recently or haven't had because they were difficult. So yeah, that's a that's a fair that's a fair question to start with. Is a conversation difficult because of the topic, or is it difficult because of the person you have to have it with? Or I imagine they certainly interact to to make things worse when things are bad. But uh, but are there topics that are that most people would consider difficult? The topic itself that people would consider difficult that you don't find difficult as long as you're having it with a person that's good at having difficult conversations. Exactly. I would say yes to all of the above. <laughs> They're easy. We solved it. At least on so, my so, Exactly. So, so there's no such thing as difficult conversations. There's certain thing as difficult communicators. Um, what are things that you think people tend to think are difficult to talk about? What oh, all the things people... that you feel like the things that people call taboo, right? Uh, so yeah, I think yeah, yeah. for for a lot of people, money is a difficult conversation, which is where I kind of started this. For 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 some people, or maybe a lot of people, sex is a difficult conversation. Yeah. Um, I think for for a lot of people, or some people, politics slash religion. I know people are going to feel a certain way about me saying that, but politics and religion um, are, are are difficult conversations. Each issues of like morality, um, I guess. Um, I think like child rearing for some people is a really difficult yeah. conversation. Um, so those are the ones that come to mind. Oh, did I say sex? I didn't say sex. Yeah. Sex, I, I think, think for some people. That. Oh, well, uh, yes. It's a very difficult conversation well, for some well, people. Well, it bears repeating, right? <laughs> because we need to be talking about it more and it seems like it's, it's really challenging and difficult to do so but yeah I think those are the things that jump out at me as things that I feel like widely um are 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 identified as difficult conversations yeah yeah the, the things that you said uh you know other people's uh, people's relationships when they're not going well. I think I would add to that list of things that people might consider, like not my not my conversation with my partner when things aren't going well, but how I talk to a friend about my relationship not going well could count as a as a difficult conversation. Um, but all of those things that you said, they sound like they sound like the, the list of topics of things that people would say, oh, that's you know we don't talk about those things or that's hard to talk about. Um, but for me, none of them like. No angst came up in my belly when you said any of the topics. Really, like if you gave me a list of people, I feel like I would have a lot more angst in my belly in response to a list of people I might have to talk to than, than any of those topics individually. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk to people about difficult things for a living. So there is yeah. that. Yes. But, um, but in our own even, lives in our own lives. Even easy conversations are difficult with people who don't know conversational etiquette and who don't know how to self-regulate around things that might be uncomfortable. Ooh, I want to learn about conversational etiquette. I mean, maybe I already know about it and I just never called it that before, but I love that word, that phrase, phrase. I literally just made that phrase up, I believe. I love it. Yes. Great. Trademark. Don't be hashtagging that without hashtagging us. You hear me? um conversational etiquette you better okay yeah okay so because i never used that phrase before or heard it before let's define it together what are some of the etiquette rules related to having conversations what do you think is, is allowed or not allowed yeah i mean it sounds a lot to me like um you know just being just the rules of having engaging body language right so you're yeah. you're making some attempt at having eye contact i know that there are varying levels of comfort with different yeah. levels of eye contact and i respect that i mean i have people that i spend time with who 
almost never look at me, you know, while I'm, while we're in discourse. And so I get that they're working towards that level of comfort, but body language, so eye contact or the head nodding or some type of indicator that you get me, you're with me, you're listening, um, your, your, your facial expressions will convey some, well, for some people more than others, myself, my face is just betrays me constantly. My face says all the things. Before we get, I want to, before you get away from eye contact, because you're right, people do have varying levels of eye contact. And I think that there are other ways to uh, indicate engagement. So one of the things that I'll do sometimes with couples and couples counseling, because like the slightest little face that one of the partners makes, like like, what did that mean? What are you doing? So I'll have them sit back to back, but touching so that they're they're attuned through breathing, like because they can feel it, but they're not yeah. looking at each other and throwing each other off with the facial expressions. Yeah. That oftentimes means what you think it means. It does mean that they're <laughs> that they're frustrated, but they would have listened to the rest of the statement if you didn't go off track. By yes, if they didn't yes. asking them to yes. explain what that feeling was, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing about eye contact. Sometimes it's great, and sometimes when you have a person like me whose face is going to say all the things, but I mm-hmm. can still listen. If the yes. person I'm talking to can't still talk about making the faces, then we, we probably yeah. shouldn't be looking at each other. We probably shouldn't be looking at each other. I'd be one of your couple participants who would need you to have us sitting back to back because yeah, my yeah. face would be, uh, yeah, uh, or like, or I'd be stone face. And then they'd be like, wait a minute, because I know your face is usually <laughs> telling me all kinds of things. So what's going on? You're not face, your face is not saying anything. So I think eye contact and the the nodding or the uh-huhs or the intangibles that are really conveying that you're there with me that you're hearing me or like I said your facial expressions that are elucidating that you are feeling mm, wait what you know um I think <sighs> taking turns <laughs> right like giving pause and space for the other person to actually speak and participate in the conversation or like I need you to say that again for the people in the conversations uh, require that I talk and then you talk and then I uh, talk and then you talk. If yeah. that's not it's not a conversation. It's not a it's conversation. A monologue or a soliloquy it's a, it's or, a, a, yeah. or a lecture. Even TED Talks have audience participation, you know, <laughs> like they take breaks for the audience to react, you know, like there's some mutual exchange there. So there, there needs to be a little bit of tennis, it needs to be going back and forth across the net. Um, serve and return and then, is what we call that when we're talking about parents and, and children. Yes, serve and return. I think that there's a certain level of being respectful of tone and and volume um that are important um i think that you know culturally speaking tone and volume mean a lot to people in different ways so being aware of what it means to your partner what it means to you or just the person that you're interacting with i shouldn't say just partner but the person who you're communicating with that tone can trigger something in them positive or negative um, and can add a little flavor, a little zhuzh to the conversation. And then I also think just like physical presence. I mean, we're in the middle of a conversation. You get Why up and you, you go keep somewhere. Going on to new things without letting me comment on the one you just said. Oh, I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. About... You asked me, and so I thought I was listening. My bad. My bad. My bad. Yes. 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 I'm taking notes. I want to say something about tone and volume. I think that we cannot overlook the the cultural implications of tone policing like couples in therapy. Like, if you're in therapy with me, if you're a couple in therapy with me and your family culture allows a bit of loudness without y'all disengaging or somebody feeling abused by that, yes. who am I to, now, if somebody feels abused by it because your cultures are different, then yeah. I'm gonna create safety. But if both of y'all can stay engaged and have the conversation and it's fairly spirited, cause I can. I can stay engaged, I can have a conversation, I can be loud and spirited and still be regulated and still be rational. Um, yeah. But but in couples counseling, this this thing about, you know, like you have to, you have to be pumped. Now in my office, you have to be respectful and mm-hmm. you can't treat someone else like uh, in, in a way that makes them feel like they're being attacked, right? But just being loud in and of itself or just being passionate in and of itself doesn't yeah. do that. But I've seen yeah. some couples counselors who are like, you know, 
I think what's happening is that person's culture doesn't allow that, so they feel uncomfortable. But the, yeah. the couple is not worried about the volume; they're worried about the content. And the, yeah. and the therapist is here tone policing the volume. Mm-hmm. Maybe some deep breathing, or just don't work with those couples. Or what you need or to be doing is, or yeah, it's exactly what you need to be doing is a a free consultation call and learning a little bit more <laughs> of those dynamics and speaking more openly you about your them. yeah, exactly your stylistic yeah. approach. Let them know. Yeah you know get let them get a vibe of you and you get a vibe of them so yeah yeah okay so okay. the last thing I said was Your like last one was physical like, presence physical presence you know like I think I know for some people you know like your anxiety your worry your trauma triggers show up in different ways and sometimes people might feel triggered they want to still participate in the conversation but they need to get up and start being kinetically you know engaged and so they get up and now they're in the kitchen and they're just loading a, some dishes in the dishwasher or whatever but the other person might feel like are we still fucking talking? Like, are you still, are we, right, fuck right, it, right. I could go walk the dog or be doing something different if this is not important to you, right? So I think there's something about being physically present um, in the space and available to, to, or at least be on the same page about what your physical presentation means. Um, yeah, I can, yeah, I can load dishes into the dishwasher while I'm having a discussion or an argument with my partner. My partner cannot load dish, dishes into the dishwasher while he's having a discussion or an argument with me. Well, and it's different than that they're attend. doing it in the midst of an argument or that they get up in the middle of an argument and then start doing a different task. Those are two right. different things. So if you were a person who could attend to those two things at one time, I wouldn't mind even if you started it, if I thought that doing that task was regulating to him. Like Fair. I can listen and do this if it regulates me. Yes, if I know that that is what is happening versus I'm tired of this. I'm going to continue to pretend to be in this conversation with you, but really I'm over here because I got things to be doing and this is a waste of my time. We're going to be done with this in a minute, right? Like the meaning. If, if, if the partner can say, or if the person you're having a conversation with can say, I'm just going to put these dishes away because I need to move my body while we talk about this. There you go. And that already that. lets you know that you're dealing with a different, a person who's at a different place in their journey, their own personal That's journey, yeah. right? And I think that's what we're going to get into in this difficult conversations dialogue, because I think that is, I believe that that is probably the most meaningful and impactful piece of, of what we're talking about is that people are, we're all at different places along our own journey of self-growth, self-understanding, self-love. And that directly correlates with the richness and the level of health in our on our individual relationships. Yeah, um, yeah period. My let me, let me Let me recap what you said. You said body engagement, taking turns, tone and volume, physical presence, anything else you feel falls into the conversational etiquette? Um, I think a level of um, awareness for like power differentials in the relationship. Ah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The minute, again, the minute one person starts to feel unsafe, we can't, we can't solve problems together anymore yeah. if I feel unsafe. And that doesn't mean that you have done something wrong. It just means that we need to be aware that once one of us is, feels unsafe, our brain is offline and we are not, we're not powerful in that conversation anymore. We can't advocate the way that we used to anymore. We can't regulate the way that we used to anymore. And the person who uh, has, whether they believe or not, the more power in that relationship has some level of responsibility to, if we're talking about and talking to a person that we care about, to take care to back off a little bit, to give that person space to be their best self in the conversation. Um, and you can't be your best self in a conversation when you don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't be your best self Absolutely. You, you can't. It's just not possible. I mean, I would add to the, to the, to the list uh, that we have a responsibility to be listening when it's our turn to listen. Yeah. Uh, not prepping our next statement, but truly listening. You look like you're contemplating something there. What because, yeah, sorry. Yes, for those who cannot see me, my, the, like the left side of my brain would just like blown out, like with a shotgun, because I am, I am constantly, you know, surprised. The word is not a surprise. The word is astonished by people who are, 
because I can't personally relate. And I know that that's what it is, that there are some people who really struggle with being present in the moment of a challenging conversation and they um, become derailed by specific statements or certain subject matter and they become hyper fixated on that and feel like they need to address that either defend themselves or clarify or want more clarity around something and now they've not heard the last 10 15 20 30 seconds of what you've said um, because they are stuck that many seconds back in the conversation on something that you said and so um, my brain doesn't work that way. My brain is listening to everything that you're saying. My brain is, I am processing everything that you're saying in the moment that you were saying and following you. But there are lots of people whose brains don't work that way. And, right. but the other piece of that is that there is a pattern of behavior of like what you were saying of defending instead of actually trying to listen, to compromise, to understand, to come to resolution. There is a pattern of trying to win. Uh, that causes people to go into like a defend mode and get hung up on and not listen to what you're really saying. So there, there are two different things going on. There are different styles of processing and there's a position that people take, I think, in, in conflict. That's yeah, so that, that was That's what was going through my mind point. when you were saying that, <laughs> where I froze. Yeah, that's a, that's a helpful, helpful point. And I think it goes along with the listening piece that that if, if we are in a debate, again, I'm, I'm talking about difficult conversations with people that we are in some sort of a relationship with. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the argument at the bus stop with the guy who thinks we should or shouldn't have to wear a mask on the bus. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about yes. uh, discussions with people that we care about or have to be in a relationship with. So like, let's say yes. a coworker or a partner or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if there is a just disagreement, the conversation should be about understanding perspectives and when we understand each other's perspectives then perhaps we can come to a compromise or an agreement that works for everybody a win-win solution um but if our if our argument is for the purpose of winning that one of us has to lose this conversation yeah. we are damaging in the relationship in the process of having this conversation because one of us has to win and one of us has to lose yeah and nobody feels like an equal in a relationship when they feel like they constantly have to lose yeah, exactly. And I think that that, you know, all we're doing is like stacking up bricks in my, uh, in my uh, argument. It, yeah, that's, that is. But like, I just feel completely re, I don't know, um, validated in my, in my, in my belief that this dynamic is ever more present and clear um, when there are disparities, like, huge disparities in the level of personal growth and awareness um, in the individual people in the relationship. So there may be one person who is coming into this difficult conversation with the understanding or the objective of, of understanding, of compassion, of cooperation, or looking for some level of, yeah, cooperation, we're going to solve this together, and the other person is coming in wanting to win. Um, that is you already know how that's going to go, you know, so it's going to, it's going to be unsuccessful. So I think it's important to know that kind of on the front end as well, or maybe have that conversation, the pre-conversation uh, before the actual difficult conversation. Um, maybe we're setting rules now for resolving conflict, but yeah, I think that's a piece of, that's, a, that's like the most significant piece of the difficult conversation. What's yeah, the objective? What you just said might be the second half of the conversation, like what the what the rules are, but that what you just said at the end, what's the objective? Uh, that feels like conversational etiquette. We actually have to be talking about the same thing for the same oh, reason. Yeah. That feels important. That's important. Talking about the same things for the same reason. Yeah. Mm. Talking about the same things for the same reason. That feels important. And then, that's, and that's then, important. did you also just make that up? Like that is like, I think I just, I just, need, you. I just need a moment for that to just sit in. Cause that was like, <laughs> so clean and so simple, but so big, so big. I would say we just made it up because I was just reflecting what you said in, in different words. But I think that's what you were just saying. You know, we like peanut butter and jelly homegirl. Jelly. <laughs> 
Um, and what about what 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 goes into the ad account when the topic itself? Because we're talking about relational dynamics, right? What about when the topic itself is one of those taboo topics? Which, like I said, for me, maybe I don't know if this has always been true for me, but again, we talk about difficult things for a living, so none of those feel particularly taboo to me. But when the topic itself is taboo, what what are some of the etiquette factors that we have to consider then? Yeah, when the topic feels taboo, uh, so if, if both people are in agreement that you know the topic is taboo and maybe it's uh, challenging or uncomfortable, it feels like there's a lot of at risk on the table um, to be discussing this or for it to go well or um, be invested in a positive outcome. I think vulnerability has to be something like there's a mutual agreement that we're 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 both feeling vulnerable and we're both gonna content continue to allow ourselves to feel vulnerable um, because that's the only way where you feel like the risk that you're taking is worth it because the other person is also taking a risk and talking about it that and like what you said is that we're having the converse the same conversation for the same reason like I think that is really important we're both trying to have the same outcome and whether it's just learning ourselves and each other um to maybe set us up to have future conversations it really feels like that simple that we're going to be vulnerable and that we're having the same conversation for the same reason seem the most important things in having those more taboo conversations to start out i don't know that anything else is really going to be that helpful or beneficial maybe a tap out rule you know like each person gets to say like, okay, like I think I've reached a threshold and like, I I know where, the, whatever, I just, I've, I've reached a threshold and I need to be able to tap out without yeah. judgment or, or, or blame or whatever. Yeah, I often tell couples, we can have a discussion or a debate for hours and hours and hours. We can only have an argument for about 20 minutes. And the reason yeah. for that is because the reason for that is because uh, in an argument where by design, not all that reg regulated, right? Because we're arguing. And second of all, the reason why we can debate the same thing for a long time and not uh, argue about it for, for a long time is because we don't have enough new points in an argument or in a debate to last longer than you know a certain amount of time, 20, 30 minutes or so. We don't have enough new points. So all we're doing is recycling old points and saying them in a different way. If I didn't hear you when I was more regulated five minutes into this conversation, <laughs> I'm not going to hear it now. But in a debate or a discussion, I'm staying regulated throughout this. So there might be a different way to say it that might land for yeah. me differently. It's yeah. not going to land for me differently as I amp myself up in this conversation. So, okay. if, so we can talk about something for a really long time mm -hmm. and really be recycling our points. But if we're both regulated and fine, go for it. If we're yeah. arguing... I do not hear you better at 20 minutes than I did at five. I just don't. It's just a fact. It's just not possible. Yeah, it's not humanly possible. Definitely. Yeah. Agreed. So tapping tap out, out feels really important. Tapping out feels really important. Um, yeah, I think the other thing tapping to, out. To, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing I think to consider when it comes to the actual tabooness of the topic is that we are one two two things one acknowledging that this is a difficult conversation this is a difficult thing to talk about and two because most of them most of the taboo topics are not like solvable problems they're just yeah. like philosophical existential debates mm -hmm. that agreeing to disagree is an option here yeah. like it has to be an option because we're not going to solve the problem of right. whether or not global warming is a thing we're not going to solve yeah. we're not going to solve any of these big you know, yeah. taboo problems in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So we're sharing our perspectives and then we need mm -hmm. to be able to let it go that we're yeah. not, that they don't, that this conversation doesn't, or this topic is not something we can come together on in one conversation. Uh, agreed. And that I think bolsters the safety for, for both parties to show up in a, in a way that's vulnerable and honest, knowing that the way that I show up or what I share, what I convey is not going to make or break the outcome of this conversation because we've already agreed that we don't have to solve it or fix it or come out completely in agreement at the end of the conversation. We can, we've already decided that we can agree to disagree, but we're coming to us to this space to learn more about ourselves and each other. Like that's the point or that's the goal. If they so decide. But yeah, I, I I like that. I think that's important. 
and valuable and freeing. Yeah. Especially in the midst of a taboo topic. Yeah. Let's take a break. But when we get back, I want to talk about two things. One is tips and tricks for difficult conversations. Um, Although some of our conversational etiquette are the tips and tricks, but also uh, like the path to repair after a difficult conversation didn't go well. Okay. So let's spend a few minutes uh, in our break. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. Welcome back from our break. We're going to start with... uh, tips and tricks. What do we do if we find ourselves knowing that we need to enter into a difficult conversation? What do we need to do for ourselves to be ready for that conversation? And what do we need to do with that conversational partner to, uh, to prepare the two of us for what we think might be difficult? What are some things that come to mind for you? Yeah. So I'm going to speak from my own personal experience and and, and what I use. And oftentimes there's just acknowledgement is a huge piece for me. I call it a disclaimer. I'm a fan of a disclaimer. I'm, I'm nervous about this. I'm really invested in this going well. I'm worried that I'm going to offend you. I'm worried that this is going to drive a wedge. I'm worried, whatever I'm worried about, I'm going to put that out there in the very beginning as a disclaimer and taking accountability from for what I'm bringing to this conversation, all of the baggage I'm bringing to it already, um, so that it's not something that is surprising as the conversation unfolds, that I have more energy, more feeling, more investment, whatever, or if I find myself getting derailed, um, that I can, you know, bring myself back and hopefully the, the person I'm speaking with back to like, I'm really trying, but there's, you know, there's a lot that I haven't necessarily been able to un- untangle or, um, you know, keep clean in the way that I think about this, the subject matter. I love that. It, it communicates both vulnerability, personal vulnerability and care for this relationship and, and investment in it going well. Yeah, I think that's a great start. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about for yourself before you get into the conversation? If you know that you have to have a conversation that you think might be difficult, either because of the topic or because of the person, uh, what do you do for yourself to like gear yourself up for it? I probably have the conversation by myself in the shower first, honestly. (laughs) I I probably have the conversation on some level uh, in the shower out loud. I mean, depending on the topic, I may have already discussed it with my therapist or a super close friend, maybe, maybe not. Um, But yeah, I may have already tried to think my thoughts out loud with a trusted person who's not gonna, not gonna just take my side or bullshit me um, to help me understand what it is that I'm thinking and feeling and why. So that I can communicate that more effectively in the conversation. Um, yeah. And I think I also ahead of time do my best to try to set some realistic expectations for myself about what's likely to play out or how I'm going to manage different potential outcomes of this conversation. Um, and be realistic with myself about what it is that I, that I really need. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of this conversation, what do I need to have conveyed to this other person? What is my position? Do I have a hard boundary that I need to be setting? And how am I prepared to make sure that that boundary is delivered? You know, so um, even just approaching the conversation, it's, you know, before I even decide that I'm going to have the conversation, it's kind of like, is it worth it? You know, like, what do I need? And is right. this conversation worth it in the context of this relationship? And yeah, what do I need to get out of it? So those are the, the front end kind of like uh, details, uh, housekeeping items that need to transpire for me before I engage in those kind of conversations. Yeah, that last point about what is the point of this conversation? Is it a necessary conversation? Like there are times where um, having a conversation is being done because you know the rules say it's the right thing to do um 
and there's no point. I know that it's not going to help our relationship. I know that it's not going to change the other person. And what really needs to happen is that I need to set, set a different personal boundary or something like that moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and there are times where the conversation needs to happen because if it doesn't happen, I'm going to feel like I'm disrespecting myself. You know, uh, yeah. um, when we're talking about like a relational issue. And then there's times where the difficult conversation is, let's say, feedback to somebody that you work with that needs this feedback in order in order for them to grow or in order for them to follow rules and expectations mm -hmm. of, of the profession and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, how I gear myself up for that conversation might feel a little bit different. But when I'm talking about something that feels purely interpersonal, I need to ask myself, is this a problem for us to solve or is this a problem for me to solve? Mm -hmm. You know? Because um, sometimes it really is just a different personal boundary that needs to happen. Um, so when I have to give feedback to someone who I know doesn't take feedback well, you know, how I, how I gear myself up for that conversation has to do with, um, you know, first of all, reminding myself that this feedback is coming to this person uh, to support their, because I care about them and that it be, because it supports their growth, right? So I have to remind myself that that's the purpose of the conversation because when they get a little bit butthurt about it, I want to be grounded in why I'm having this conversation and not yeah. start second guessing myself. You know, yeah. am, am I just being a bitch or whatever? Yeah. Um, or getting defensive also, about them having feelings about whatever it is. I'm also going to be thinking about, you know, timing in this conversation. Yeah. This is going to be difficult information for you to hear, but I'm also going to let you know. You know, I have some feedback about your work. Some of it is, is a bit unpleasant. You might not like all of it. I want to talk to this, talk to you about this in a time that works for you when you can oh. be regulated about it. But I'm also not going to be super like mysterious. You know, I want to talk about your productivity, your timeliness, and the fact that you've been late a lot. And I want to problem solve that with you. Um, but I'm going to give you enough information that you're not like, what is this mysterious conversation we're having? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that you don't have to be uh, stressed out about it. I also, when, now that we're like into talking about, or that I'm into talking about, like giving people feedback at work, we have conversations very early on in our professional relationship uh, about how feedback is going to come, what it's going to look like, how you want it to look, how sometimes uh, your preference and my style don't line up. And so we're going to have to figure out how you can, uh, how we can both adjust, you know, because I'm not always going to do it exactly the way you want to, but I, but I am interested in hearing what you prefer. Um, and, you know, when something is about, you know, this is a personal growth opportunity and it's just something we're going to work on over time, then I'm more likely to do it your way than this is a safety issue and you need to know this right now and you need to know it quickly, not in a way that makes you feel good, you know? Yeah. Um, so those are some things I think about when I'm trying to give, have, have a difficult conversation with somebody that I feel is not good at taking feedback. I know a couple of people who who I think are great at taking feedback, they're really bad in the course of the conversation. And then when the conversation is over, they do all the things that we talked about. They just like in the conversation, they just can't sit with the information at that time. And that's always kind of, what is happening here? Like I would have thought that you would have completely disregarded all of that feedback and not done any of it, but you walked out and did all of it, so. And did all of it. So it's very huh. confusing. It is super confusing. It's super confusing. Maybe they're secretly plotting your downfall, uh, but they uh, it's, it needs to be a secret. So they're definitely uh, checking all the boxes, crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's along the way so they don't arrive and, uh, raise any suspicion. I watch and pay attention to way too many uh, whodunits because that's where my brain goes now automatically, okay? Just too much. Yeah, yeah. shows up a lot in the in the work situation. Yeah. So you you mentioned a bunch of topics and none of those uh, raised any ire or angst in my belly. But the idea of having a conversation about a few of those topics, but really anything that we might disagree on with my mother, makes me feel anxious. Like mm -hmm. the idea of having a difficult conversation about anything we disagree on. Now, if I was going to have a difficult conversation with my father about something we disagreed on, we would go head to head, we would be loud, we would argue, and we would both be fine. That doesn't happen with my mom. Like she requires more care than that. And I get impatient, you know, so like a difficult conversation with my mom, that sounds scary. Who's your, who's your person or who are your people? 
that difficult conversation sound more scary? That's a good question. I don't know. People, that difficult conversations seem scary with are more related to, I think like, for me, the work environment, probably. I, um, because I know that I can be professional and I know that I can be direct and clear because that's just, that's my get down. That's my style is to be really honest and really direct. And I can demonstrate empathy and I can really try to be patient. And no matter what happens in that one-on-one conversation, there will be this, like, what feels like for a lot of people, this slow release of like, resentment or angst that happens after Mm -hmm. that tarnishes what actually happened in that moment and then creates a whole new reality kind of like moving forward you know and so this either if you may you know either intentional or unintentional like this degradation of the relationship um and maybe even their just experience of the job and the company overall and so those difficult conversations regarding I think in the work environment for me are are more challenging and maybe it's because there's not necessarily as much opportunity to really repair and um, have a multi-dimensional relationship with the person um, so you don't have as many opportunities to repair you know or strengthen and so I think those ones are if, if I was going to think of a, conver- a situation that was more difficult or challenging it would be overall those because it just not everyone is necessarily their real full self at work. You know, there's a representative that's strongly showing up. So for me at work, the difficult work conversations are the people who cry. I'm talking about staff, not clients, but the people who cry because they feel hurt by what you're saying. Like some people, some people are criers and they just cry in the context of a difficult conversation, but they're still present. They're not feeling like a victim in the moment. They're they're just upset, disappointed in themselves, embarrassed, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but they don't feel attacked. But people who who will feel attacked, who will feel hurt by by what I'm saying, whether what I'm saying is hurtful or not, but they internalize it as as uh, being attacked. And I'm really I'm really fairly aware of myself. Like if I'm being mean, like you'll hear me say things like you know when I've been mean to someone and I didn't want to. There is a difference between me being mean to someone and me being mean to someone when I don't want to and I'm aware of it. Um, so, so I'm really, uh, I'm really aware of how I'm giving feedback to people who I know are very sensitive to feedback and who I know are really hard on themselves. And so they're going to take this in and they're going to make it mean some things that it doesn't based on, you know, their old scripts or whatever. Those scare me because like you said, what happened in the room and what the story they tell themselves about what happened in the room and then the story that they tell other people about what happened in the room can be yes. really far from what actually happened in the room. Yes. And those yes. those make me feel scared. Those make me yes. feel scared. Anybody who's going to uh, tell a story to, you know, their coworkers who I also supervise or to HR or something like yes. that about me yes. doing something harmful. Yeah. When I know that I didn't, because if I yes. did, I would acknowledge it, I would tell HR on Same. Same. But but when somebody when I believe that someone's going to take this because of because of the way they receive feedback um, and make me a bully or a villain in the situation, mm-hmm. I'm very scared of those conversations. That yeah, that's exactly how I feel. That's what I've experienced in the past, and I'm very I feel like I'm very aware and cautious of currently, and probably will be into perpetuity. Um, yeah. But in my personal life, I. <laughs> I come as I am, um, and I think everyone who has a relationship with me experiences it, me that way. That I, I come as I am, and I don't have a problem with apologizing. Um, I'm definitely an ask forgiveness, not permission kind of person, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I, I, you know, and I, I do my best to not hurt people intentionally, unless I am trying to hurt you intentionally, which is right. pretty and rare. I'm aware of it when I am. Yeah, you know, and yeah, and it won't surprise you because right. <laughs> it won't surprise right, right. you because you, you, my body language will have already told you that it is coming most likely. Yeah, so yeah, I um, I don't necessarily have too much worry or fear, angst around difficult conversations with 
uh, like family or friends. Um, unless I feel, yeah, unless I've been in a relationship with someone who, who, yeah, maybe my sister. Maybe my sister. Yeah. I, yeah, I think she's probably, and I, and I think I'm, I, I hesitated on that one because I'm, I feel like I'm at a different place now than I have been previously, like right now, today, in this moment, in the last couple of months, I'm in a different place than I have been previously. And I'm um, having stronger personal boundaries and ideas around my like re- responsibility for our relationship than I have had historically. We have a pretty significant age gap. And so, um, you know, she's much older than me and, you know, has been in my early, early childhood, obviously like a role model, <clears throat> excuse me, and somebody that I looked up to. And so there's just like that power differential, but now I'm like a real, real grown ass woman, you know what I mean? And so I see her as a peer and, um, and so that is allowed for room also for me to shift the way that I move in our relationship and show up in our relationship. But yeah, sometimes, um, her ability to regulate or um, take things personally has caused me to show up in a different way, uh, either more emotional than I typically am or more subdued and shut down in a, or hesitant in a conversation that I probably would show up with lots of other people in my life. Yeah, for sure. I, I think also the other, the other category of people I have real, uh, you know, kind of ingrained hierarchies around older people. So if I have an older colleague that I yeah. consider to be, you know, you know, somebody my mom's age or certainly my grandmother's age, they could be dead wrong. And I would have a hard time kind of debating a point with them in a passionate way because I just have these, these, you know, ingrained feelings about uh, respect for respect for elders. But I wonder why I don't have that. (laughs) It's really bad. I need to, I wish I didn't, but I do. Um, The last part of this is, you know, sometimes those difficult conversations are going to happen and they're going to go poorly. And um, yeah, I mean, one, one solution to that is just don't be friends with that person anymore and get a divorce or get your job or whatever. Just just move Um, on. But when one of those things is not an option, you know, yeah. what are what are the ways that we repair those relationships that are damaged by difficult conversations that didn't go well? Damn, yeah. I think a lot of people just don't repair them and they just keep moving forward. We just keep moving forward and we just don't acknowledge it and we just hope it doesn't happen again. And, and that drives me wild. Like, I just, I don't function like that. Like, we have to acknowledge, I'm going to need to talk about this. I'm going to need to be heard. And I hope that you feel like you can be heard. Um, um, hopefully there's, you know, for me, there's like some self, some level of self-reflection of what was going on for me in the midst of that. If I wasn't able to effectively communicate that during the conversation later on, I need to be able to convey that and hopefully create a space where I can hear what was happening for that person as well. So that I can have some more insight around what went wrong and how do we want to move in the future? Some agreements about how we want to move in the future that are going to kind of respect the experience that we both had that we don't necessarily want to have again. Yeah, we had a really, uh, really clear process for repairing after damages in our relationships when I grew up. Uh, We did one of two things. Either I was told to go outside and play or I was invited to get something to eat. Those those were the ways that we made repair after (laughs) I had been disrespected as a child. (laughs) In my house. And when I say disrespected, I mean, I used to get cussed out. <laughs> if my parents listen to this, they will claim that that shit never happened. But it did regularly. And just, you know, hours or a day later, somebody would come in and be like, you want some meat? And that that would be how we that got was signaling. That was, that was maybe, signaling that. There was a, that that was a level of accountability. Anymore. Things didn't go well yes. for you. And I know they didn't. So would you like to self-soothe in this way? Yes. Exactly. Oh. So, so that was how it was handled in my household. At this Damn point it. now, I I oftentimes at the end of the conversation will say, um, you know, something like, "We're ending this," and I don't I don't feel super comfortable. You don't look like you feel super comfortable. 
I feel like we might need to revisit this in a, in a while, not necessarily the content, but just us and how we're doing after having had this conversation. So sometimes yeah. if I have the presence of mind and I know that a conversation didn't go well, I'll say that at the end of the conversation. Um, if I don't have the presence of mind right away, then soon after I'll reach out and say, hey, that was awkward, I'm sorry. Uh, I feel like we need to talk about it. I'm not ready. Um, I don't know if you are, but you know, maybe in a couple of days or whatever, depending on the context, we can regroup and talk again. Yeah. Um, that, that for me is about letting the person know that you and this relationship are important to me. So I don't want it just hanging out there. Assuming that that person and the relationship are important to me. I just don't want it hanging out there um, because it gets harder, you know? five minutes after the conversation, an hour after the conversation, two hours after, the longer it goes, yeah. the harder it gets to like take that first step. So I need to take that step or, or I can't really focus on other things because I'm distracted yeah. by the fact that somebody important to me is upset with me or feeling yeah. hurt by me. Yeah. Or vice versa. <laughs> I'm feeling or, or I'm feeling away. hurt by them. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling away. And I just, I think what you said is right. There's just there's so much meaning and value put to uh or that we experience when first of all when we acknowledge that there are some feelings that need some more attention some further resolution um and have that the other person experiences and having it like named like i'm saying that neither one of us has to carry the burden of whatever residue is left over from that last interaction that that I, I I think it's worth it for us to continue I want to keep talking to you I don't want this I'm not good with this wedge or whatever taking root and I'm also probably hopefully dissuading you from building putting more bricks on top of bricks of whatever wall right. you might have been right. building and I'm trying to check myself from building any walls between the two of us as well right so I'm asking you to put a pause on that uh, renovation project in our relationship because I think we can go in a different direction. I'm hoping you feel the same way. Um, yeah. I think it takes some of the steam out as well. Yeah. yeah, just an acknowledgement. Just an acknowledgement, but for some people that is not nearly as easy. Like me, I, I need to repair quickly because, and some people need more time. My partner is a person who tends to need more time. So in terms of what we want to leave the people with today, I want to ask, for those people who do need more time after a conflict or who do, like we talked about how uh, I can hear all of your points even when one of them early on pissed me off. For those people yeah. who do get a little bit stuck or for those people who do process a little bit more slowly or who need time to formulate their thoughts. And that's not an easy thing to do in the context of an yeah. argument, yeah. Um, especially with someone who is processing much quicker and is yeah. like dominating the conversation. So Winning. I wanna know, yeah. <laughs> so I want to know what I want to leave the people with. What I want to ask of them is if you are a person who um, who has great points but can't formulate them during a, a heated discussion, uh, what do you need from, from your conversational partners uh, in order to be able to feel safe and feel effective in difficult conversations? So that's what I want to leave the people with. What about you, Adia? I want to leave the people with uh, considering what it is, if there are specific people, specific relationships that you find that most conversations feel difficult or specifically taboo topics feel, ooh, additionally spicy. <laughs> I want people to think about what are the specific factors or characteristics that make it so uncomfortable or threatening or scary or ooh, um, to even in, to con contemplate engaging in those conversations. And similar to what you said, like what would make it easier? What do you need to feel like you can embark on those type of conversations when, within those relationships and um, be some level of successful, right? Yeah. Consider that and share them with us. That sounds good. It was a good talk, friend. Absolutely. It was so good to see you. Thank you for making time. Good seeing you too. I think I will see you tomorrow at work, but after that, I'm going to be off the grid, and so are you. 
That's true. Well, I will be. That's right. I will be uh, sending you lots of texts and uh, uh, memes that seem appropriate and fitting. I and maybe I'll be later. reaching out to TSA and telling them that they should double search your bags because I'm also that friend. Oh, <laughs> trauma, emotional damage. Yeah, emotional no, damage. Uh, <laughs> love you to bits. See you soon. Love you to bits. I'll see you soon. Take care, lady. Now you know that was better than journaling. So go ahead and give us a five star review and share us with your friends.